Okay, we'll start. Uh, we just got back from India last night, so still a little groggy. Okay, <laughs> so excuse that. Okay. Uh, I was called away suddenly. There was a a Xerox Corporation wanted to make a film about our computer work with the monks. So. Uh, and they had to do it in three days or something. So we did it, and that's all. There's a chart here, uh, and I want to thank John for doing the class, and I heard he did a good job. Uh, this chart is, was made by our grandfather, meaning Ken Rinpoche's teacher, uh, Tujan Rinpoche, who's the teacher of his Holiness the Dalai Lama, the junior tutor. And uh, it summarizes all the steps to meditation. So just about all of class three, course three is in here. And I'm sorry it's so small. There'll be a reading that will contain all the, all the parts here in English and Tibetan. So we, we took it all off the chart and turned it into a reading. I think next class or? Yeah, uh, at the next session of this class, okay? And uh, that's about as small as we could make it. I mean, as big as we could make it uh, at a local print shop. So if anybody has the, you know, effort, we could redo it on bigger paper. We just didn't have time. We just got back and, and did it. But uh, originally we did it on a larger sheet of paper, so you can see that. But this summarizes all the all the steps to meditation. The main thing of this chart is that it gives you all the potential problems that you can expect. So I think that's the most useful thing about it. It alerts you to all the problems you can expect during your meditation. And then each, uh, each one of the turns represents a different problem that you overcome during your meditation. So I think it's very useful before you meditate if you know what problems might come up. And then you're forewarned and then you can recognize them as they come up and then you can stop them. I think most Americans who try to meditate end up never getting past the first or second problem because they don't know that they're problems. And some of the problems are sneaky and they, they are imposters. They, they pretend to be... and they, they look like you're doing well and actually you're in the middle of a problem, like what they call subtle dullness is some kind of spacing out during meditation and that's actually a serious problem to meditation and I'm afraid that many Americans see it as a benefit, you know, and they get into it and it's relaxing and it feels good and, and then they space out and, uh, and this chart will help you understand that that's really a problem and that once you get past it you can get even higher in your meditation. So that's the benefit of the chart. It's nice to have everything in one, in one piece, okay? Uh, if anyone has the, you know, energy, they can make it a, uh, we have a larger one, and if they can find a, a place that could do the copying, maybe we could all chip in and, and make one, okay? Uh, there was a debate, which I think I've mentioned before, in ancient Tibet, where uh, the Tibetan people were trying to decide what kind of meditation they were going to do. They were like Americans. They were trying to figure out uh, how to meditate. And they had differing influences. They had people coming from the East, from China, uh, very good monks, a very good monastic tradition, a very good Buddhist tradition, older than Tibet. 
and coming into Tibet and people trying to teach meditation. And then they had uh, the Indian influence from the South, uh, great Indian teachers coming across the Himalayas and teaching meditation. And at a certain point, although it wasn't typical, there was a clash between the two viewpoints. Uh, there, was a, there was a teacher who came up from India named Kamalashila who, who got to a certain part of southern Tibet and said that uh, meditation should be done a certain way. And then there was a Chinese monk named Hwashang who came from China and said, in the same area, and said meditation should be a diff- done a different way. And they settled it the old way, which is they had a public debate in front of the whole king and his court and all the people. And I think the debate went on for weeks. And they argued about the different kinds of meditation and, and what's a useful meditation. And Huashang's view was, which is sometimes here echoed in the United States nowadays, is that you should just sit down and try to empty your mind and not think about anything. And that's called Chiang Mei meditation, which means nothing at all. Just sit and try to think about nothing at all. And then you hear emptiness being taught that way too, like em- seeing emptiness is the, is the art of trying to think about nothing or watching your thoughts flow through your mind or something like that. And this was Huashang's, uh, this is a, a derivative of Huashang's viewpoint. Uh, Kamala Shila said, come on, the nature of the mind is what we call yulchen. Yulchen means uh, that which holds an object in it. And you can't have a state of mind without a yul. There cannot be a state of mind without something that it's focusing on. If you try to focus on not thinking, then you're focusing on not thinking. And that becomes an object. Uh, and you always have an object before the mind. The mind is like a mirror. And, and whatever you put in front of it is what the mind will concentrate on. But to, to imagine a mirror with nothing in front of it is, is not the point. Uh, that's not how the mind works. The mind is not stimulated to act until there's an object. It's called a, a mikyan. Uh, in ancient philosophy, they accept that you know, the mind itself or awareness itself is created by an object which triggers the consciousness of the object. So it's impossible to have a state of mind that's not thinking of anything. You can have a state of mind that's trying to not think of anything, but then you're thinking of something. You see what I mean? And, and uh, this was the debate that they had. And Kamalashita said, anyway, suppose you could think about nothing, what's the point? You know what I mean? Uh, you might as well just take heroin or something. Uh, or knock yourself on the head with a rock or something. You know what I mean? So what's the point of trying to think about nothing? You know, no content. Um, I do this online thing every Sunday night and, uh, <laughs> and answer questions. You know, people log on from around the world and, and then they ask questions. And so I've been, asked, I've been doing this a couple of weeks and uh, somebody said, I went to a really good retreat up at, so I won't name the place, okay? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, what was it like? You know, and they said, uh, the food was great. You know, I said, okay, what else? And I say, uh, and they said, uh, well, we had this really strict schedule. We got up really early. You know, we worked really hard. And we sat for a long time. Then we did walking meditation. And then we did this and this and this. And then I said, you know, sounds great. What did you meditate on? And then there's this long pause, you know. And there's nothing going on the screen. And I, you know, I typed it again, you know. And then there's this long pause. And then there's this, um, they didn't tell us to meditate on anything, you know. And this is like a four-day thing, you know. And I said, well, what did you meditate on? And they said, well, just anything you want. You know, it doesn't matter. The main thing is to be calm and happy and not think about anything. And, and you know, this is Hua Xiang coming to the United States, you know. Uh, 
So you've got to have a content to your meditation, all right? And, and there's three types of meditation, and people don't understand that. So I'm going to give you the three types first. But you've got to have something that you're going to meditate on. Say, Jogom? Jogom? Gom means meditation. It comes from an ancient Tibetan word, Kom, which means to get used to something. Like to do something over and over again until you get used to it. Kom. So, Gom means to meditate. Jok means to set your mind on an object one-pointedly. Like to set a, a, an object in front of your mind. This could be a, a picture, a visualization. Or this could be some idea that you've had. Like, for example, a deep emptiness meditation would be a jokom. So, jokom just means to put your mind solidly on a single object. Okay? Single-pointed meditation. I used to think that if you did it a lot, your head would get pointy, because mine used to be a little bit... Uh, and I didn't know what single-pointed meant. You know, you keep saying single-pointed. And then I saw uh, an explanation in a text that said single-object meditation. Single-pointed means single-object. In, in English, we say single-minded, you know, and baseball players, businessmen, you know, successful, are single-minded. They have only one thing in mind. It's either, you know, money or baseball or whatever, food. But that's a single-mindedness, okay? Single-mindedness means, one-pointed meditation means you just have one object of your meditation. Jogom is that. Jogom, jogom is, is fixing the mind on one object, okay? And that's what you're normally thinking about when you hear the word meditation. And that's a good kind of meditation, and you can do it. People ask me, what should be my first meditation? Uh, in the scriptures, they say, uh, try to picture something. You know, start with a silhouette, you know, like a Buddha, with a light behind him or her, and, and you see the sil just the outline, and you meditate on the outline. And then you fill in the eyes, the color of the eyes, and then you fill in the nose, and then you start filling in from the face, and then you fill in the hair, and then you fill in the rest of the body. And then you fill in the breath, and the warmth and the smell of the body. You see what I mean? Until it's a total thing that it's not like a visualizing a tanka, okay? A lot of people, when you say, try to visualize a lama, they close their eyes and they, they try to picture somebody flat on a piece of paper, okay? It's not like that. You have to try to get in the mood of sitting with this person, they're breathing slightly, their eyes are moving slightly, you can smell their body, you can feel them rustling, you can feel the warmth from their body. You know, make the meditation all sensory, all the senses should be there. And that, that's a real jogom. Okay? I'm afraid that many Americans, even if they find out what they're supposed to meditate on, they just meditate on a flat picture of somebody. And that's not the point. Okay? I mean, eventually it should get to where you really feel the person is there. Okay? Next one is shargom. Say shargom. Shargom. Shargom means, uh, it's the word for East in Tibetan because it means for something to rise or something to appear because that's where the sun appears in the morning okay so shargom means uh, like holding pictures up to your mind in a certain order okay like like uh, like you're going through a bunch of paper you know how they go like they should look at this picture look at this picture look at this picture look at this picture and that's called shar one by one you make them appear to the mind okay and this is what we call review meditation review meditation okay you're going through a certain series of steps one by one over and over again okay I've heard this thing where they say that uh, little kids who learn foreign languages get smarter later in their lives because they're making new neural bridges in their mind like 
they're, they're making new mental habits in their mind or pathways that other people don't. So it's like a new connection between this point and this point that if you keep doing it and you learn a new language, then you have a new connection between two points or something like that. This is very similar. Shago means you keep doing the same steps in a meditation over and over again until there's a new like bridge made in your mind and it's just a new mental habit, a new way of thinking. We call it a bhakti uh, until you're used to that. Um, for example, a good death meditation would be this way. There's nine steps to a good death meditation. And if you keep doing it over and over and over and over and over again, then finally the bridge is constructed in your mind and you start to think that way. You know, you start to think, well, maybe I will die today and maybe I should do exactly what I want to do if I was going to die today. You know, maybe I should lead my life that way every day and do exactly what's the most important thing every hour of my day because I, I will die today, someday. Okay, like that. And that's a shargom. Okay. Uh, last one is called chegom. Say chegom. 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 Che means to examine a problem. You can call this problem solving meditation. And it's defined in the scriptures. It says, take a certain question that you're not sure about in Buddhism. And they say, set it at the center stage of your mind. And then examine it from all different kinds of viewpoints. You know, like, take this question put it in the center of your mind and think about it from 50, 60 different ways. You see what I mean? And that's called chegom. So, for me, personally, when I do chegom, it's most often on uh, what's the most important Buddhist thing I can do. You see? Because I live in a world of, of Buddhist things to do, you know? I can do one of a hundred different Buddhist things. I have all day to do Buddhist things, you know? So I can, you know, for me it's not a question of whether I'm going to do a Buddhist thing or not. It's it's what's the most important Buddhist thing to do of all the Buddhist things I can do today. And that becomes a struggle for me, you know, like, because I have Buddhist things to do which are more comfortable for me. And then I have Buddhist things to do which are less comfortable for me. But sometimes the less comfortable ones are more important. So I have to fight with my own mind. You know, my own mind wants to do the more comfortable ones because it's used to it. And then, but I know intellectually that I should be doing the more difficult ones or the more the more challenging ones that will get me to Buddhahood faster for other people. So I have this constant uh, struggle in my own mind about prioritizing my practice. You know, what's more important than other things? And that's a chegom. So what you do is you sit down and you say, okay, today I have, I'm faced with this choice between, you know, doing this virtue or doing this virtue. So which is more important? You know, because I only have one day to work with and it's two days of stuff. And then I sit down in my meditation and I, and, I, and I struggle, you know, I punch it out. It's like an intellectual questioning about this thing, which is more important to do. And then this side will say, this is more comfortable. And this side will say, yeah, but you're going to get to Buddhahood slower if you do that. And, this, and then this side will say, yeah, but you know, everybody else is doing this. And I say, no, no, but this is more important. All the books say that. And they say, I don't know, you know. And, this, you know, and then you, that's a debate in your mind. That's called a chegom. Okay, and then you resolve the question. Then you slide into a jogong. Okay, it's like I decided that this is more important than that. Now let's hold that for a while. Okay, that's then you move over to jogong. You see what I mean? So from from a chegong you can go to a jogong. You gotta get used to that. What I wanted to do tonight was the original course number three was about meditation. 
And I think the first six or seven classes were about all the ways to meditate, how to sit in meditation, all the different problems, all the different fixes for the problems, uh, all the conditions you need. Very importantly, how to prepare for a good meditation. And then as I was getting towards the end of the course, I realized that a lot of people were coming up to me and asking, well, what am I supposed to meditate about? Okay? And the most important thing you can meditate about is Lamrim. Okay? So we're going to talk about a Lamrim. And your reading is kind of long. Did it get printed? I don't know. Yeah? We were up all night and uh, Aura was up. Uh, and it's a long reading, okay? It's a, it's a Lamrim text. But what it's meant to be is a meditation that you can do for the rest of your lives, okay? Uh, it's about, I don't know, 100 something pages. No. Uh, but it's a, it's a complete meditation that you can do indefinitely, okay? Let me see which one. Say Lamrim. Lamrim. Lam means path, path. And uh, I always remember getting corrected in Brisbane. I said path. They say, huh? Path. I say, huh? I said, path. Oh. <laughs> okay. Lam means path. Rim means uh, steps. Steps to the path. Okay? Steps to the path. Path to where? To enlightenment. Alright, steps to the path of enlightenment. Whenever I hear Lam Rim, I think of this uh, instruction manual that we got with our lawnmower down in New Jersey when we bought it, and uh, it how to put it together. And this is from Sears Robot uh, Lawnmower, and it comes in this block box because they don't want to have it be too big when they ship it, you know what I mean? And you, you have to follow these instructions to put it together. And, you know, it's really hard for some people. And, uh, and it's like big letters, and it says, don't forget this screw, you know, number one. And then number two, it says, don't ever tighten it past that, you know, and number three. And, and if you do them one by one uh, correctly, it has to come out right. You know what I mean? Like, if you can figure out the illustration of which screw is which, you know, and, and you just... Don't get impatient. You know, if you go through, it's like your income tax. You know, I mean, if you just sit down and calmly go through one by one each step, then theoretically you can't screw up. By the by, the time you finish, your taxes are figured out, and or the lawnmower is sitting there complete. One time I had all these screws left over, and I didn't know where they went. You know, but but it's a certain order that you have to go through, and you have to think lam rim is like that. Okay. And I've had all these debates with some people. They say uh, it's not necessarily true that, that there's a certain number of steps to enlightenment. And it's also not true that you can't skip some of them or, or jump around or go out of order or something like that. 
And then I get into this debate with them about, is it the same as the lawnmower or not? You see, I mean, is it possible that spiritual things are just like the lawnmower? You know, is it possible that you have to do it in a certain order? And you have to have certain parts, or the thing won't work. And then they say, yeah, yeah, but I read this book, you know, about this, this guy, he wrote a new book, and it looks really good, and a lot of it is very similar to Buddhism, you know. So look, it's got a death meditation in it, and uh, it's got this in it, and it, it's got like half the stuff is there, you know. And then you say, well, if you use half the parts that were in the box for the lawnmower, would it work? You know, I mean, Sears Roebuck is not going to put in parts that they don't have to pay for, you know. You know what I mean? If it wasn't necessary, it wouldn't be in the box. And uh, then I get in this debate with people and they say, no, no, spiritual things aren't like that. You know, it's kind of uh, variable, you know. It just depends on where you are or what century you're living in or stuff like that. You can leave out some stuff. As long as it has, you know, this has definitely has a death meditation. It's very similar to your Buddhist thing and, and it has this other thing. And then you say, but does it have emptiness? Do they teach karma? And they say, well, not, not directly, you know, not like you guys say, but, but it's kind of there, you know. That's like saying, well, uh, you know, it's got a couple wheels and uh, it's, it's, it's got a, a thing that looks a lot like a carburetor. You know what I mean? And... And then people say, no, no, you're being sectarian, you know. And I say, no, there's, what I'm trying to say is it's, it's possible. I'm not, I claim it's true, but I don't, I won't, okay. Uh, that you must have certain parts there or it cannot work, okay. That you must have certain elements in your spiritual career in the same way that you need certain parts of a car or a lawnmower for it to work or just won't work you see I mean it can look like a lawnmower it can make some noises like a lawnmower but it won't cut the grass you know what I mean and and it's very possible that it's this the same in, in the spiritual things the trick is with spiritual things because they're so slippery you know it's so hard to judge whether or not you have the parts it's so hard to tell if you're making progress it's so hard to to know which parts you need and which parts you don't need because the thing you're fixing is trying to talk you out of fixing it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's extremely difficult in spiritual things to know if the lawnmower is complete or if it's working or things like that. You see what I mean? Like, they're invisible. Half the things that you ever have to get through to reach enlightenment, especially tantric enlightenment, are invisible. You know what I mean? Like, you can't tell. Uh, if you're making it well or not. And it's very difficult for another person to, to w look at you and say, yeah, you're doing okay on step number four, but number six is not so great. You know, it's almost impossible to, to judge uh, whether a person is doing well in those things, you know. And, and it's very difficult for you. It's like trying to teach yourself piano. It's like trying to teach yourself to play concert piano. And, and maybe you've never heard a, a concert pianist or something like that. I mean, what you're trying to do and what we're trying to do to reach enlightenment, especially in one lifetime, involves so many invisible processes and so many unmeasurable things that, that it's almost impossible unless you follow a certain directions well, you know, and that you have someone to help you. Uh, otherwise, it's just totally, forget it. You see what I mean? It's just impossible. Half the things we're talking about are very, very subtle internal 
attitudes or worldviews or, or ideas that uh, you can't judge if a person has them very easily. You know what I mean? You can't tell if you have them very easily. And then they have to come in the right order. And they all have to be there. And then you've got to come up with some guy who's going to watch you and say, you need more of part number four or you're not going to make it before you die. You know, and, and they have to be able to judge all this just from external, the way you act, the way you seem to talk, you know. So, the long name is very delicate. And, and what I'm trying to say is, an, an omniscient being named the Buddha, you know, has put together an outline called Lamrim. Lamrim wasn't invented by Tibetans. It comes from the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras. Okay? The name comes from the Perfection of Wisdom Sutras. And Lord Buddha has designed this specific instruction manual, like a lawnmower manual, that goes through a certain order. And you must have all the parts there, or it won't work. And the, the thing is, you'll never know it until you, you're like, you just die, and you won't know. You know what I mean? Like, you'll die, and you'll, you won't know that you left out part number 14. And if you'd had it, you wouldn't have had to die. And, and so it's very, very delicate. You, you, you have to learn the long rim thoroughly. The good side is that if you just do the long rim in order, without leaving out anything, you must get enlightened. You see? It's very cool. It's like you must come up with a lawnmower that works. And it, they're exactly the same. Never think they're not the same. Never think you can just leave out a piston here or there. Or, you know, three wheels is okay. Or something like that. Or it looks like Buddhism. Or some of the things are very similar, so it must be good. You know, it looks like a carburetor. You know, it doesn't mean it works. You see, I mean, you've got to have all the parts there, and you have to go through them one by one in order. And if the good news is if you do it that way, you've got to get, you will get enlightened. Okay, but as you get towards the end, it becomes very, very, very subtle. You know, the the spiritual things that happen inside you are invisible and very subtle, and it takes a, a really great uh, master to help you. You know what I mean? You have to have someone close by to help you. They have to be watching you and saying, okay, you need a little bit more of that. You can slow down on that. And they have to be doing, the final adjustments have to be done by a master who you're close to. Okay? Uh, that's why this famous Lamrim that we're going to study is called Yunden Shigyuma. Okay? Say Yunden. Shigyuma. Yunden. Shigyuma. Yunden means, it's a very difficult word in Tibetan. It means good spiritual qualities, good qualities. Okay. Like compassion, it's a Yunden. In modern Tibetan, Yunden means education. Ko Yunden Chamuyore means, you know, he's well educated. But in spiritual Tibetan, in scriptural Tibetan, Yunden means high spiritual qualities, inner qualities. Shira means the basis or the foundation. In many uh, philosophical texts, it can mean the source of something, as opposed to the foundation of something. And then Gyurma means uh, the book about the source of all your good qualities. Okay? Uh, Ma is a feminine ending, and it's, and it's used to denote a, a book, especially about wisdom. Okay? So like uh, the Heart Sutra's real name is Chomden De Ma, 
Bhagavati, which is the feminine ending, which means the conquering lady or something like that. Okay? So this is a book about that the Ma is implying wisdom, and it's a book about the source of all these very subtle, invisible good qualities that you want to develop inside of you. Okay? Like it's one thing to learn like dance, you know? They'll teach you how to move your left foot, then they teach you how to move your right foot, then they teach you a left a left move, and then they teach you a right twist, and then they teach you how to move your arm, and then by the time you're done with like ten years of then you've moved all the possible parts and, and anyone can stand there and say, Okay, they can do a left turn and a right turn and they can do this move and that move. But but spiritual things are much more subtle, you see? That the person who teaches you has to be able to say, Oh yeah, um, they know how to find a good lama. Oh, they learned that already. Oh, they have renunciation. Oh, yeah, they have renunciation. Oh, they know how to get yelled at by their lama and still come out all right. You know? Oh, oh and they figured out that the lama doesn't always say what they mean. They figured out tangye. You know, like they got over that part, you know. They figured out that they have to make the decisions on their own and, and do the right thing regardless, you know. And then there's certain, like, very subtle stages. They, oh, they figured out that... Uh, you know, taking care of all sentient beings means doing the right thing with the people that are sitting next to them. You know, and not all sentient beings in the universe. You know what I mean? Then there's just certain stages or signs that a person has matured to certain spiritual levels, and they're very subtle. They're really very subtle. So, Yinishigima means who's going to be the source for all those qualities for you? You see, who's going to guide you through those stages and and, and make sure you get up to the next one before you die because it's a race against death. You see what I mean? It's life and death question. They have to be pushing you at just the right speed over certain spiritual obstacles that you have. And, and that's your Lama. Okay? So you should give a, the text Lamrim, this Lamrim or this book, the name of it is the source of all my goodness. Meaning, uh, Lama. Okay? The person who can guide you. And that's the first Lam Rim. I mean, you have to go out and find this person. Okay? It's the first step of the Lam Rim. It's the first step of every spiritual path. You have to go out and find this person. Okay? And I can't uh, overestimate the, what it means. It doesn't mean a person giving lectures in New York City in front of a hundred people, okay? You have to find your Lama, you know? Uh, you have to find the one that fits you personally, and then you have to seek out with them a very personal relationship, you know? You have to find a person who's qualified, and then you have to find, you have to have a relationship with them that's very tight, very close. They have to be monitoring invisible, subtle things in you from day to day. Uh, that's very difficult, okay? And you have to find a person who can do that. That's Yunin Kungi Shigyu, Jin Chen Jie, first line of the text. And you have to go find this person, okay? That's your first job. All right. What's this got to do with meditation? This is going to be the first step of the meditation, you see? When you do your meditation now, don't ask me what to meditate on. Should it be a green blob? You know, should I just let thoughts go through my head? Should I just try to be calm, watch my breath, and try to be a nicer person this afternoon? No. Do a long rim. Do a shargom. Okay? Do a shargom. What's a shargom? You're going to go through these steps one by one in your mind. Okay, what's the first thing I need? 
I have to go find a teacher. Then you can switch over to a chego. Why? Why do I need that? There's lots of books been translated now. I can call up Snow Lion and, you know, get any book I need. Who needs a teacher, you know? And then you have to debate with your own mind, you see? Well, you need someone who can take you through these invisible, subtle stages of spiritual development and know where you're at every day and know how to help you on to the next stage. Or else what? I'll die. Okay? And then you have to debate your own mind. You know, your own mind say, yeah, 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 that's cool, but you can just go to class once in a while. That's enough, you know? And then, and then you have to say, well, wait a minute, I don't know, I might die before the next class, you know. And say, no, no, average expectancy just went up to 77. You still have time, you know. And then you do a, you have to debate your own mind, okay. That's a shargo and a chego, okay. So that's the first step in Lama meditation. You think about finding a Lama, okay. And, and finding them means establishing a relationship with them where they are monitoring you closely. And you have that relationship, okay. And you have to. I mean, all the great musicians, all the great artists, all the great dancers, all the great baseball players, they had a, they had a, a close relationship. Sooner or later, you have to. Okay? Who's that guy that just broke the most games in a row thing last couple of years ago? Yeah, Ripken. There's two of them, right? Why? Because they're father. <laughs> no, who's that guy? Anyway, yeah, Cal Ripken and his brother, right? Then they're like great baseball players because their father's a great baseball player and they grow up with it. Really? How? The father? Ooh, okay. Didn't, okay, not the right kind of llama. All right. (laughs) Anyway, you see, it's not just an accident. It's because he... Because uh, he's so close to them. You see what I mean? You have to have somebody like that. Okay. Mm, what's the next thing? I'm going to take you through uh, four steps of a Lama meditation. Okay. Say Deba. Jawa. Kepa. Jawa. Deva means faith. Jawa means develop faith or develop develop faith. And this means uh, you have to try to think clearly of what you want. You see, like if you're going to study, I don't know any subject, say in mathematics, you know, you have to come to some kind of belief that this person knows what they're talking about. And that's Depa Jama, okay? So like you're checking out this person and you're watching them and you're trying to decide, do they know what they're talking about or not? You know, is this person qualified or not? And this has to be a very important step for any person. It's one thing to learn how to play piano badly. It won't kill you, okay? And you know, I mean, you've had teachers who they either were incompetent from the beginning, you know, like I had one in uh, seventh grade, okay? I mean, the sixth grade teacher was incredible, like a star at everything and a great compassionate holy being. And then seventh grade teacher didn't want to teach, didn't know anything, didn't like to teach, didn't like the kids, didn't learn anything from them. David Jawa is you have to check this person out. 
you have to see if they know what they're talking about. Okay? Then there's other ones that you get all excited about at first and then later you find out they don't know as much as you thought. You know what I mean? Something like that. Okay? But, but your mental real estate, your spiritual real estate is very subtle. It can be impressed very easily. You know, if you get in with a person who's not qualified, uh, they can subtly uh, affect you so that for years you don't make any progress. I mean, you have to find, uh, you have to be very careful about your choice of who you open up that real estate to. You see what I mean? Because those decisions about who you're going to try to think like uh, can affect you for decades. You see what I mean? They can, uh, someone can take you off in the wrong direction. That can affect you for many, many years. According to Buddhism, it can ruin you for lifetimes. Okay? So you have to be very careful about who you expose your mind to. Okay? It's one thing to have someone teach you to play piano wrong or someone teach you to dance wrong. But if someone teaches you to think wrong, then you're in trouble. Okay? So, so very important to check them out. Devajama means come to a point where you have uh, a certain faith in this person because you've checked them out carefully. Okay? Say, Sampe. Demba. Sampe. Demba. Demba is a very difficult word in Tibetan. Demba, this spelling of Demba means to take yourself to someone like a doctor or it can mean to rely on a medicine. Uh, it can mean to go to a lama and learn from them. Okay? Something means in your thoughts. Okay? So it means how are you going to relate to this person emotionally? How are you going to think about this person? Okay? And that's a whole stage in the Lam Rim. Uh, once you make this connection with this person, once you have a relationship with this person, then how do you commit yourself to them mentally? Okay? And there's just some kind of mental connection that you make. Okay? And this is very important. Okay? At the last step, which was Depa Jawa, you check them out. Right? You decided whether or not this person's going to be your Lama. And, and you have to do that process carefully. I mean, in scripture, some people took 12 years to check out their teacher. You know, they didn't, for 12 years, they didn't say, will you be my teacher? You know what I mean? They took their time, checked them out, talked to their students, find out their background, find out about their personal lives, everything. Check them out carefully. And once you're decided on them, then how do you think about them? You see what I mean? And in America, I think we don't quite have this uh, attitude towards teachers. You know what I mean? And I'm talking about your high school teacher or your college teachers or things like that. I mean, if you become like an Olympic skater or something, you see them come off the... They skate around for the competition and then they, they're back in the back and the camera comes up and they're going... <laughs> and the coach comes up and you can see this relationship with somebody who's been teaching them for 10 years every hour of the day. You know, and there's this look in their eyes, you know, and, and that's what we're talking about. Okay, there's this connection that you have with them. And, and Sambetensu means don't break that connection, Samaya. You don't break it after that. You think of your teacher in a certain way, you know. It's like getting married a hundred times over. And, and it's that kind of commitment that you make at that point. Okay, once you've, after you've checked them out, and, and this could take a year or two years or five years. Take your time. It's your life at stake. 
you know, check them out carefully. And then, and then sabitento means once you've checked them out and made the commitment, make it. You know, and then just decide this person is going to be the one. You know, and, and then you think of them a certain way. You never change your thought about them. Okay? Uh, you think about them as being the person who's going to save your life. And, and you never stop thinking about them that way. Okay? That's called sampetenso. This person is going to save my life. Out of all the people I've met in the world, I believe this person has the capacity. If you don't think they do, then don't, don't make them your lama. You can still go to classes of a person or something like that. That's fine. Especially if there's nobody else around. Okay? But, uh, but I'm talking about a different commitment. This is like, okay, this person's the one who's going to save my life and I commit myself to this person. That's sampetenso. Okay? Now there's a thing about your mind. Okay? It's called the high school girlfriend effect. Alright? Uh, you know, you see her in a class. I still remember, right? And, and you're like, wow, she's really cool, you know? And then you like make excuses to go by the, her window all the time or bump into her next to her locker or stuff like that. And then, you know, finally you get up the courage to, to sit down at the same table in the lunchroom, you know? And then you slowly start this is called Depa Jawa, right? You're checking out the qualities of this person. Then you decide, okay, I really want to go out with this person. And then you ask them. And during this whole time, they look glorious, shining, not like your last girlfriend, you know? And, and they're like, unbelievable and really cool and different, you know? This is going to be different. And, and they're all special and everything. And you meet them and then this is the one, you know? And then you actually go out with them and then you get to know them and they get familiar with each other. And then you have your first fight, and then you have your second fight, and then you have your third fight, and then finally you meet that other girl in the other lunchroom, and that's the one. You see what I mean? And and this whole process it goes like this, you know, uh, you know which you've been through, right? It goes like this, 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 and then it goes like this, and then it then it goes like that. That's not a change in the other person. I mean, that's the big thing that Buddhism did for me. You know, it made me understand something. The other person is not changing, okay? They're the same person they were before you sat down next to them at the lunch table. They didn't change during the six months that you knew them, okay? <laughs> Something else changed. What's that? I mean, your own mind changed, okay? Like, they didn't change dramatically. They didn't become, they didn't go from most cool girl in the high school to horrible monster in the high school <laughs> in six months, you know? Something else changed. Your mind changed. You see what I mean? What it means is your karma to see this person as beautiful is used up when? While you see them as beautiful. You see what I mean? For as long as you see them as beautiful, your karma to see them as beautiful is wearing out. Then sooner or later it wears out. And then they start to look worse and worse and worse. And then you have your last fight with them. And this is always this curve like this. And this is, this is not their fault and they're not changing. You're changing. Okay? Your karma is wearing out. Now the same thing happens with Lama. Okay? That's the point. You know, you go to a lecture, this guy looks wonderful, you know. Not like my last llama, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and you get all excited and, and they look really cool and they teach you and teach you and teach you and you're like getting really excited. And then you peek out and your karma starts to change. You start to see faults. You see like, oh, oh, I never knew they would act like that. I never knew they would do that. Can't believe it. You know, six months ago I thought they were perfect. You know, and you start to see all these things. And you think that those things were there six months ago, but you didn't see them. And you believe that. 
and that's a wrong worldview. Sambek Demba means you have to try to stop that worldview. You can go on from skipping from Lama to Lama to Lama, and what you'll find out sooner or later is it's just like your high school girlfriends, okay? It's something else changing. It's your own perceptions. And it's not that you are seeing something that was there before. You're creating something that wasn't there before. Okay? Because your karma is wearing out. So you have to be aware of this effect and you have to deal with this effect. Okay? And, and you have to try to handle it. You have to be aware that it's your karma shifting and you have to fight it. Okay? And that's very important. Otherwise you just skip from lama to lama. You know, like that. Because your own karma is wearing out. What I mean is, at a certain point in Sambetenso, you have to decide that this person is challenging you in some way. They're trying to teach you something. Okay? Once you make the karmic connection with this person, Sambetemba, once you say, this is my Lama, now everything changes. Everything they do after that is a challenge for you. If they decide you need to have your faith tested, they'll test your faith. If they decide you have to have your anger tested, they'll test your anger. You know, if they decide you have to have your patience tested, they'll slap you around a little bit. You see what I mean? And you have to say, oh, this guy's helping me. Thank you. You know what I mean? And your whole attitude, once you make the connection, that's why it's so important to be careful before you make the connection. But once you make the connection, you now have to have a whole different way of looking at this person, unlike any other person you ever met. You see what I mean? And this will be your first tantric practice. Okay? Very heavy. Very, very heavy. And if you succeed, you'll get enlightened in this lifetime. Very subtle. Okay? What, what I mean is, you are deciding that there's one person in the world who can read your mind, who knows your future, and who's challenging you knowingly every moment of the day. And, don't, and then you don't give up. You say, I know this person's trying to get me enlightened. You know, every time they tell you to go wash the dishes, every time they yell at you, every time they say the opposite of what they said yesterday, you know, now your whole perception of this one person has changed. You see, I mean, this person is out to get me enlightened. And, and I'm going to pass every test they can give me. Then what happens? It wouldn't be a test if it wasn't difficult, okay? Every time you get over one, they come out with a new one, okay? And this is a sign of a successful relationship with a Lama, okay? This is a dynamic that's working. Why? Your faults are coming up, and they are smashing them one by one. If you feel comfortable around your Lama for more than 24 hours, Something's not working. Okay? <laughs> All right? That's their job. Okay? I mean, they have to be constantly shoving you up to the next level. It's like when I used to weight lift, you know, in high school or something. And, and the coach would come up and say, you know, you've got to put five more pounds on that. You say, why? And they say, because you lifted it. You know? And, you know, you can't... I mean, a good llama is doing that. They have to keep pushing you forward. And, but not too hard. You know, add 20 pounds and the person's... Something breaks, like something rips. And you, you don't want to do that. But they have to be constantly shoving you up to the next step. What I'm trying to say is, once you get to number two, once you decide that this person is the one, then, then you have to shift into this other mode of seeing whatever they do with you as being the next challenge. They are designing challenges for you. Okay, and you have to think like that. Yeah. Well, when you say, he said, do you want to believe that they're doing it from their own side? You know, ultimately it doesn't matter. You see? It doesn't matter if it's intentional or not. If, if your subintentional is perfect, the right challenge will be produced from them by whom? 
by you. Okay, it's very interesting. You know, I've seen this relationship. And there was this one llama that me and, I mean, I knew he was like abusing his students and it was disturbing to watch. You know, like always trying to get money out of them. They never had any time to study. They had to work all day long on building these buildings and then he would just sell them and then he'd get another one and then, then they'd be working. And I'd, we'd sit there and watch them and say, these people are crazy, you know. How can they? And then they'd swear that this is the most wonderful llama they ever met, you know. And you'd say, come on, wake up, man. You know, this guy's just after your money. And then uh, the llama eventually died. You know, and then all these students came out wonderful. You see what I mean? And that's the way it works. It's a very strange thing. The dynamic is that, you know, if, you, if your virtue is enough, the tests will come to you and you will pass them and you will become enlightened. And the other guy could be a schmuck. You see, it doesn't, it's not the point. It's very interesting, you know. And I, but I don't say to do it lightly. I mean, you check the person out. Tradition in scripture, sometimes for 10, 12 years, you check them out. Then you make the commitment. But after you make the commitment, you know, if they, if they tell you to build a nine-story building and then rip it down, you know, this is uh, a, a challenge. They're, they're designing a challenge for you. After you make the commitment, okay? And it may be that they challenge you with some extraordinary behavior that's, that's immoral, and then they're trying to see if you have the brains to leave them, which you should. You see what I mean? And that's another, you know what I mean? I mean, you, it always has to be uh, that you do the right thing. That's what they want. I mean, there's a very famous story of a lama who had five students. They've already made the kind of connection. He says, I need money. I want you guys to go out and rob this village, you know. And four of them go out and rob the village. One of them stays behind. And says, you know, with all respect, I can't do that, you know. He says, I'm your llama, I'm telling you to steal something. He says, you're my llama, and I know you would never tell me to steal something, and that's why I'm not going. <laughs> and then he gets everybody back, comes back, the other four guys got lots of money for him, the other one guy has nothing. And he says, you know, I only have one good student, that's the guy who didn't go. You see what I mean? So, it always boils down to you having to do the right thing. So I'm not just saying blindly doing whatever they say, because that's a test also. They can be challenging you that way also. You see what I mean? And ultimately you must do what you know to be right. You know what I mean? Yeah? That's true. Yeah. Gratitude. Okay. Say, Jorway Temba. Write it first. Jorway? Demba. Demba. See, Sambe Demba is how do you think about them? Or watching your thoughts about them. Jorway Demba means how do you act towards them? What do you do with them? Okay. The point here is that to, for you to succeed in your spiritual life, people ask me, what's the best way to see emptiness directly? You know, should I study Kamala Shila or should I study Jethro Kapo or anything to Gajana or Chandakirti? I say, Jorway Demba. You know, which means help your lama, okay? And there's all these levels, you know. People think, uh, and I'm not criticizing, but to bring a flower to your lama is, I mean, there's a certain levels of relationship with your lama. First level is where you're kind of uh, just sitting in class and soaking it in, you know. And this is the relationship you have. They, they put out all the effort. The room is here by itself. All the expenses pay themselves. The heat is coming by itself. Uh, you know, 
The guy got here by himself. He lives by himself. He doesn't eat or, or spend anything. And he just shows up and we have a class. And I sit there and I take it in. And he makes me do homeworks, but that's okay. You know, and that's one level one. You know, then level two is where you start to say, okay, well, maybe I'd better help out a little bit. You know, I'll uh, take a flower over there once in a while. I'll stay a, oh, five minutes, but not ten minutes to fix the altar afterwards. And, and you start to feel like maybe I'm supposed to help out a little bit here. And then third level is like, um, okay, well, maybe I'll go over there on a Saturday and help out in the afternoon a little bit or something like that. And then fourth level is something like, uh, you know, I'll help with a major project, you know, like I'll grade these papers for this course, you know. And it goes up by levels, you see. And it, it goes up to the point where, where you cannot distinguish your needs from your Lama's needs. In other words, Lama needs a house, you build a house. Lama needs to get to California, you, you, the ticket's in his hand, and he doesn't have to think about it, you know what I mean? Uh, Lama shouldn't have to worry about whether we've rented a place or who's paying for it or anything else, you know. I'm just grateful that Lama is there, you see what I mean? Uh, Lama never asked us for any money. I've never been asked for money in my life from a Lama. Never, ever, in 25 years. But, it, but, it's my, but at a certain point, my money is their money, you know. I mean, I've showered Lamas with money and had them throw it back at me. We had these fights, you know. Take it. No, no, I don't want it. You take it. No. You know, and that's... At a certain point, it has to become where you're just one person with them and you're one family with them. And everything you do is, is uh, in the service of this Lama. I mean, you have to get to that point. And I'm not saying with me, okay? I'm saying with any the Lama that you find that fits you, you have to go up through these stages. If you want to get enlightened in this lifetime, sooner or later you'll have to make that relationship with them you know start out and I'm not saying do it before you're ready but I'm saying go find the Lama that fits you make this commitment mentally which is some tensile and then Jordan tensile means slowly in your actions you become to them their helpmate you know you become to them the one who who helps them in a serious way in a, in a major way with what they're doing, you know what I mean? And they, you're trying to take load off them, you're trying to help them in a, in a serious way to do what they do, which is to get people enlightened in one lifetime. You see what I mean? So, sooner or later, the relationship has to go up through, you know, helping out once in a while to, to making little offerings, and then finally it becomes like, I'm here, I'll work 18, 25 hours a day for you, whatever you need, I'll do, because what you're doing is the most important thing. And, it, and sooner or later it has to reach that point. I'm not saying with me, I'm saying you go, you have to find the one that fits you, and, and different people need different lamas. You know, people have this sick uh, attitude that my lama's better than their lama, or this lama's better than that lama, or that lama's stupid and that lama's good, you know. That's all stupid. Uh, each Lama exists because they help somebody, you know, and you have to go find the one that fits your personality. And you're never going to have one Lama that fits everybody's personality. It's impossible. You know, you have to go find the one who, who fits you and the way that fits you. And then you have to go up with these stages. First, you have to think about them in a certain way. Well, first, you have to check them out. But after you're through checking them out, you have to start thinking about them in a certain way. And then after that, you have to start acting towards them in a certain way. And then, towards the end, if you really want to get enlightened in this lifetime, it has to be total commitment. 
you know, like anything they need, you're trying to supply for them. They don't have to ask. They don't have to push you. They don't have to beg you. They don't have to whine about it. It's just there, you know, and you, they, you take all the load off their head. You know, you say, you know, just whatever you need, I'll do. You know what I mean? And that has to be the, the relationship, okay? For, for them, I mean, they don't need it. If this person, for example, has seen emptiness directly, they don't need anything you can do for them. Seriously. Okay? They don't need you. You're, until you reach the highest point of your development, you're just a drain on them. You're just trouble for them. You know, they, they don't need it. They could just go sit somewhere and be happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's one more problem in their life, you know, to take care of. It's having one more kid, you know. And uh, it's not for them, okay? Never think like that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's for you. Really, it's for you, okay? And it's an honor to be asked to do something for your Lama. And it's an honor to be spending your money for other sentient beings, you know. And it's an honor to spend your time and your life and to stay up late uh, to help other people. And, and you're, you're one of the fortunate few who has the opportunity. And, and really you have to see it like that because it's true. Okay, and to have the opportunity to, 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 you know, to spend all your time, to overwork yourself for your Lama. The word shramana, shramanera, uh, one of the ordination vows is means the person who tires themselves out helping their lama. Okay, this ancient Sanskrit word for a student is the one who tires themselves out. You know, trying to help their lama, and uh, never think of it as a burden or, or something like a hassle or something like that. It's an honor, and once you get into it, there's a dynamic. I mean, there's some kind of snowball starts rolling once you're able to commit yourself that way that everything starts happening for you. And if you want to see emptiness, that's the best way. I mean, out of all the things you can do is to get into that kind of relationship with, with, with the Lama who fits you. And then don't hold back anything. And then you'll get everything. You see what I mean? It's a dynamic like that. And you, you have to get to that point. That's the first of the Lama rims. Okay? That's the first step of the path. Okay, last one. Say Kupa. Kepa. Kupa. Kepa. Kupa means like some kind of love or affection, reverence, devotion. And Kepa means to generate that or to start to feel that. And uh, if you reach that point with a person that you're serving them to that degree or you have that relationship with them, then you start to feel this devotion for them, okay? And it's a very uh, important sign of your spiritual progress. You know, you start to feel like uh, this is the most precious being in the world and uh, they've been giving up their whole lives for me and they've been watching over me and they, they've been, you know, if this is a real Lama, they've been setting this up for hundreds of years, you know, and this person's been out uh, taking care of me, watching me, watching over me, protecting me, uh, guiding me, trying to make sure that I don't suffer, you know, and they've been doing that for many, many, many years, you know, it's not just, I mean, any Lama that you ever meet has been watching you for many years before that. And, and waiting 
and setting things up for you and preparing for you and waiting for you to get here. And uh, this has been going on for longer than you can imagine. And then you have to think like that, okay? And that's good, okay. Um Take a break, okay? And then uh, do your thing. We'll talk after that, okay? Good. Give you like a five-minute spiel about how did I choose what to teach in these classes, okay? And what's the approach of the content of this last five, six years courses, okay? And to me, it boils down between two things, what we call Lamrimba. Say Lamrimba. Senipa. Lamrimba. Senipa. These are two approaches to learning Buddhism that were popular in Tibet, okay? Lamrimba means that you go through the Lamrims, okay? You go through uh, one of the presentations of a Lamrim. There are maybe eight major Lamrims in Tibet. There are dozens of lesser Lamrims, not lesser by content, but shorter. And that's one way of learning Buddhism. You know, you can learn the theoretical part of Buddhism through the Lamrim. And, and that's a tradition that's been especially tr- strong in Tibet, uh, especially among the non-monks, okay, like among lay people. When, when big lamas like Pabongkwa Rinpoche went to teach lay people in Tibet, it was always Lamrim. When His Holiness comes to America to teach, it's usually the Three Principal Paths or, or some kind of uh, variation on a Lamrim. And this has been the tradition for lay people to learn Buddhism. Uh, Lamrim uh, includes all of Buddhism in a brief, uh, easy to practice way that anyone can do. And this is uh, one tradition. It's been a tradition when lamas got to the United States or other Western countries that they concentrated on Lamrim teachings because they were more simple and they were briefer and they were complete. And this is an easy way to present Buddhism to a Western audience, especially when you have a, a language barrier. So it was easier to do it that way. And that's been the way that a lot of Buddhism has been taught in the United States. Uh, what the Asian Classics Institute theory was, was that if you could find students who would commit enough time, they could do it the monk's way. You know, that you, the tenyipa, that's called tenyipa. Okay. Tenyi means uh, definition. Tenyipa means a logician or someone who works on reasoning. Uh, and this is the presentation in the great monasteries. Okay, we call Dentasum, uh, the big three monasteries of Tibet, which is Debung, Ganden, the two lesser colleges, and Sera, okay, uh, which is the greatest of the three. And uh, this has been a tradition in the Dentasum, means the great three monasteries, Sera, Debung, and Ganden. Uh, and you would study Tsenipa. Uh, the Tsenipa system consists of five subjects, and I'm going to just write them down. And this is what the course here at Asian Classics was designed around. I felt I was brought up through the Tenipa system. You know, my Lama, we had time. Uh, we had 20 years, so he brought me up through the Tenipa system. Tenipa means you cover the same material as the Lamrim, but you rip it apart. And you go very, very great detail through the five great subjects of ancient Indian Buddhism, okay? Sooner or later, if you do Lam Rim, they're all there. 
and you can get them and, and you can learn them all that way but if you go the Tanipa way it's much much more detail and to me I think that Americans if you can find Americans who are willing to make the effort that it's a much greater result you know if you can find people who are attracted to working hard and having to really study hard and to try to understand the details of Buddhism that to me my goal in this institute is that people study the Tanipa way that you go through the details and the hard work uh, of doing the, the detailed presentation of the great classics of ancient Buddhism going through each one of the four great schools of ancient India in detail and learning the, the main points of the whole Geshe course so the Geshe course is the Tanipa course and that was my dream for this place and for these courses and for, for the five, six year course and what I would like the, this institute to be known for and what I would like to see people teaching is the five great subjects in detail uh, in the heavy presentation and I, I would like uh, us to attract that kind of student I don't think it's for everybody you know, there's a lot of people who, who are attracted to for example, just meditation and there's people who are attracted to just social work uh, or just uh, social action or things like that but the, the core of this institute's presentation is the Geshe course and that's the Tenyipa so Tenyipa means you take the five great subjects and you study them really hard and then in conjunction with meditation and deep retreats which we'll talk about another night but as far as the content of what we learn here and what my dream is is that I think any normal American is well educated enough to do the whole Geshe course I don't you know having been through the Geshe course I don't see any reason why uh, a normal American who's persistent can't excel at that course and I don't think uh, I think it's a I, I don't know how to say it. I think you are underestimating Westerners or Americans if you think that they can't do the Geshe course of course you can do the Geshe course you've been through the major points of the Geshe course um, frankly you know most of the material as well as most Geshe's ever learn it even if you're not you may not believe that okay uh, you, you can believe it okay I did my Geshe exams in 95 after teaching here for five years it was a breeze. I mean, it was fun. The people who came there said, why are you laughing? You're being examined by every monk in the monastery. It was a good time because I've been through it all again with, this, with these courses. So you don't have to think that you somehow don't, aren't getting the whole thing or you're not learning it as well or you're not qualified to teach it or you have to go to the Lam Rimbas way because Americans can't learn Tanyipa way. And it's not true. And, and you've learned uh, the major points of the Geshe course and that's the goal of this institute in other words I don't ever want the most serious courses of this institute to be watered down to something which is you know easy for people who can't come regularly you know what I mean or something like that I'd rather weed out those students let them come on Friday night which we call a cookie class and even though you get cookies and uh <laughs> I think the core, my dream of the core of the teachers that we produce should be senipas. In other words, they've covered the subjects in detail. They're not afraid to answer tough questions about it. 
when a tough question comes up, they can say, oh, that comes in Abhidharma chapter 3. Check it out. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I'd like to see that kind of thing. And, and not to, it's not my goal in this institute to, to do the Lam Rim way. Okay? The Lam Rim is a, is a masterpiece because it incorporates all the great five books, but in a much briefer way and in a much less comprehensive way. So I'd say uh, I'd like the concentration of, of you people as teachers to be Sanyipa way, which means you're going to have to learn all 15 courses, period. You know, my goal is that, you know, by the time I get out of that stupid three-year retreat, <laughs> that uh, everybody has finished the 15 courses. If you're not, uh, if you haven't done like the first five or ten or something like that, we're going to design, during the three years, there'll be a rotation of the courses so that you'll be able to finish the ones you didn't do, okay? And, and my goal is that each person go through the whole Tanipa course. You know, I could just get up and do a six-month long rim and then repeat it every six months, and that's not the goal. If you want that, you know, go find a long rimba uh, center, okay? This is not. We, you earn it here, okay? And... That's my goal. That's what I would like. Okay, uh, you got 15 courses finished, packaged, waiting for you, and your job to get through them. There will be uh, people teaching them in a rotation uh, during the three years, and you can probably finish them if you work hard. Okay, I'm going to just put up the names of the five great subjects because it's auspicious, you know, for people who are going to be tsenipas. And I'm not putting down Lam Rimba centers. You know, that's good. Uh, Tanipa's better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Say Parchin. Parchin. By the way, never say that. I don't want to hear anybody say Michael Roach said Lam Rimba's bad or something like that. That's incredibly ignorant. Okay. Uh, Lam Rimba is fantastic. This is even better. Okay. Uh, that's all. Parchin means perfection of wisdom. Okay? The perfection of wisdom sutras. It's the lower Madhimika school. In the monastery, perfection of wisdom means the study of the lower school of Madhimika, the lower middle way school, what we call the independent school. In the monastery, this is 12 years. Say, Uma. 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 Thurman. No. Uh, <laughs> Uma means middle way. Okay, Madhimika. In the monastery, this means the higher half of the middle way school. Okay, the Prasangika or the Consequence school. The highest teachings on emptiness. Uma. We do four years in the monastery. Say Dulwa. Dulwa. Dulwa means Vinaya. This is uh, vowed morality. Okay, it could be. Some people call it monks, rules, or something like that. It's not just monks. Lay people also. Okay? Vinaya. Okay? The study of ethics. Vowed ethics. Taking vows to live an ethical life is dulwa. Okay? We do for two years in the monastery. This is the presentation of the Abhidharma schools on ethics. The, this is the first of the, of the four schools of ancient India. When I met His Holiness and we showed him the courses, he was very excited. 
And I said, we're doing all five great books. He said, wait a minute, how are you doing Vinaya with, with, you know, big groups of people? They're not monks and nuns. And I said, oh, we're using Jetson Kappa's outline of Vinaya. He said, oh, that's great, you know. <laughs> he was very excited about it. Okay. Say, zh. 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 Zh means Abhidharma Kosha. Okay. The Abhidharma. We spent two years on it. Uh, the subject of the Abhidharma is hard to say. I mean, it, the first chapters, two chapters, discuss the, the parts of your personality, your mind, all the parts of your mind, breaks down the whole universe into different categories, things like that. The, the third chapter goes on to where did the world come from? How was the universe formed? What are atomic particles? You know, how do you measure time? You know, how will the world end? Things like that. Cosmology. Fourth chapter is on karma. And then the latter chapter is on how to meditate, uh, how to defeat your mental afflictions, things like that. So it's like a huge encyclopedia of, of Buddhist philosophy. Again, this is from the point of view of the first of the four great schools, the Abhidharma schools. Okay? Say Tema. Tema. Tema in Sanskrit is pramana. It means the study of logic and perception. Okay, Buddhist logic and perception. In here you get the second of the four great schools. This is called the sutra schools. Sometimes I just call it the logic schools. When you say logic to Westerners and Americans, they, they freak out. You know, they say... What's it got to do with me overcoming suffering and becoming a tantric deity? You know, what's logic? You know, who wants to study Aristotle? I just want to get enlightened. You know, and they freak out. And I tell you this, okay? Catch this. The second most important thing for seeing emptiness directly is logic. Okay? Is to study Buddhist logic schools. To study the theories of how you perceive things. How does perception work? You know, why does perception work? Why do you recognize things? How do you recognize things? How do, how do your perceptions work? I mean, after serving your Lama, I'd say it's the most important thing for seeing emptiness directly. It's not, in a, it's not irrelevant at all. It's one of the most important things you can do. Uh, Jetokapa's students said the greatest kindness he ever paid them was to teach them logic, how to think straight. And it's very, very deeply and intimately connected with seeing emptiness directly. Okay? And you have to learn it. They call it the Umego. It's like the, the doorway to Majamika, the doorway to emptiness. Okay? Yeah? Uh, she said, where does debating fit into this? We'll talk about it. One sec. Okay? We study Tema or Pramana every year. We stop. Uh, everyone stops, you know, wherever they are in the course. Everyone stops, and we go to logic for three or four months. It culminates in the winter debates, uh, which are big competitions between the great three monasteries. Sometimes we let the Tachifumbos come. And if the Ratas are nice, we let them come. And the Namgyals showed up once, but they never came back. <laughs> anyway, I think some of them did come back. Anyway, uh, but it's a very intense uh, debating between all the great three monasteries uh, for like 10 hours a day for an entire month. And, and this is uh, every year. Logic is considered so important that whether you're just starting out at 15 years of age 
or whether you're about to do your Geshe degree, you're still, every year you're stopping and doing it for three or four months, okay? When I say logic, I'm also talking about how you perceive things. You know, the whole thing about mental images and how that plays a role in, in the perception of emptiness, okay? Uh, how does all this relate to debating? You debate all of it. Debate is a tool to debate anything. And after we build the university in Arizona, uh, we'll be debating art or dance or Tai Chi or Qigong or whatever. You know, everything can be a subject of debate. Debate is just a tool for, for arguing logically about things and learning them fast and efficiently. So you can debate. We debate all of these subjects, all four subjects. Yeah, all five subjects, sorry. Yeah, it's exclusive. You do them. Yeah. You do only Parchin for 12 years, and then you do only Uma. And then people have trouble shifting between them, because you learn a whole belief system, and then they tell you, now forget that one and go to the next one. <laughs> and and you, you say, you have to switch hats. They call it switching hats. So people who just graduated from Parchin into Uma, for example, are still stuck in their thinking in the, in the lower school, and the teacher has to shock them out of it. You know, like the teacher after teaching them Lower Madhyamika for 12 years says, by the way, that's wrong. Now you have to learn this one for four years. You know, and they freak out. It's very common for them to freak out. Okay, so this is the system in the monastery. Now, where did the Lam Rim fit in here? Lam Rim is an abbreviation of all these five. See what I mean? Lam Rim contains all five in a brief way. In the monastery, there is no Lam Rim formal course uh, and I asked Rinpoche one time, why don't we do Lamrim or, or why don't we do Dukta, which is comparative philosophy? He says, you don't need it, because when you do the other four, you when you do the other five, you cover it, but in greater detail. Okay, so you have to get used to that idea. Yeah? Where does the Oh, that's a good question. He says, where does mind only school fit in? All right. Which is the third of the great four schools? Um, it's studied during Parchin. Okay, it's a, as you get towards the end of your course in the perfection of wisdom, you start learning Tange. Tange means how to interpret the Buddha, and that's where mind-only school comes out. Was the Buddha literal or figurative when he taught that everything is the mind or something like that? Okay, so it's covered in Parchin. And then later when you get to Madhyamika, uh, the mind-only school comes as the bad guys and you learn all the arguments against the mind-only school. So that's, uh, that's where you study the third of the four grade schools. So by the time you finish this course at ACI, the point is that you've covered all the great schools of ancient India, you've covered everything that the Lamrims have in them, and, but in very, very great detail. What's the use of spending so much time in all this detail, okay? Why is it necessary? Uh, can't we just meditate all the time, you know what I mean? Uh, it seems like you're hung up on all these fine points of philosophy. Um, it's not just philosophy. Sooner or later you'll see that every single point that comes up is one that will come up in your own mind as you're meditating. And you have to be equipped to deal with those questions for yourself. Secondly, uh, as you get older you will attract students. Okay? Each person in this room has a personal responsibility to start teaching in accordance with their ability and their own personality to other people. And they will come up, they are Westerners, they are Americans. 
they will come up with the craziest questions, you know, and they will think of all the all the angles that Jatokapa didn't cover or something like that, you know what I mean? And and the idea is of learning all the schools is that you can you can handle every different question. And the idea of studying in depth is that you can satisfy the needs of each person, each student that you ever have, you'll have at your fingertips exactly what they need. You see what I mean? And you'll be like totally equipped to help any kind of personality who comes to you. Because you're going to get all kinds of students and each one is going to be obsessed with a different part of Buddhism. And you have to be equipped to answer them immediately and to satisfy them and to lead them. Okay, so that's the idea of being a tanipa uh, and, and having all of this stuff in your, at your fingertips. And you should. And you shouldn't think it's a waste of time or it's too much detail or something like that. If someone's going to come to you and ask you that question. And if you have it right there and you can help them, or it's going to come up in, your, in the second year of your three-year retreat and you can't talk to anybody, right? And, uh, and you'll have it all in your mind. You know, sooner or later, everything we ever cover was taught by Lord Buddha because he saw with an omniscient mind that somebody would need it. And, and never think of it as anything less than that. Okay? Uh, we'll do some prayers.